Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Hey, we, well, months, you've been going through the King's Speech. While I've been on sabbatical, I want to echo again my thanks to all those wonderful teachers who stepped in to uh, fill the pulpit and cover this teaching uh, in the months that I was gone. A big, big thank you to all of them. And so I get the privilege of, of wrapping it up. Uh, I kind of wrapped it up last week, but you know, sometimes preachers can just never quit. And so I'm doing like a double wrap up. Next week, I'll start a new series for the month of August. We're going to look at uh, four different healing stories from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus touched someone's life in a significant way. I'm really looking forward to that. But today, we're wrapping up uh, the King's Speech. Now, the thing is, is we have access to incredible teaching nowadays, don't we? I mean, everywhere you look. I mean, uh, I love TED Talks. Anyone? like? Te- How many of you had your life changed through TED Talks? I never have tied my shoes the same since I watched a three-minute TED Talk like seven or eight years ago. I'm not kidding. I'm really like not kidding. You, you should look it up. How to tie your shoes. Change your life. Anyway, TED Talks, master classes, um, YouTube. I'm in, I, I, I live with two teenage boys who constantly, I kid you not, every day, every other day are saying, Dad, you got to watch this on YouTube. And they'll sit down and we'll watch something uh, on YouTube. Of course, there's podcasts. Uh, the Global Leadership Summit, even on Netflix, there's incredible stuff that we can learn. We have access right at our fingertips, incredible, valuable content in a way that no one has ever had access to. And I think it's amazing. I'm very, very, uh, very thankful for it. And yet, as good and as helpful as much of this is, none of it compares to the teaching of Jesus. Not in content and not in results. None of it compares. As we're going to see, none of it compares to the teaching of Jesus because of who Jesus is. That the teacher actually matters. Other teaching might be wise, it might be helpful, it might be illuminated, it may change forever how you tie your shoes. <laughs> but it's the only, it's only the teaching of Jesus that comes with an unqualified, unconditional promise of life. And as we've been exploring this most famous speech of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the King's Speech, through it, Jesus has taught his followers how to live as his followers, or in particular, how to be kingdom citizens in this kingdom of heaven or this kingdom of God that he's announced is on the scene. He's covered a lot of ground through this teaching, and at the end, he sums it all up with the famous golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which in his words sums up not only his teaching, but sums up all the teaching that has ever been given to God's people, the law and the prophets. And then he's bold in his call for action. Incredibly bold. At the end of the teaching, he says, as we've already seen demonstrated here this morning, build your life on my teaching and you'll live. Or as I put it last week, do this and you'll live, don't and you won't. It's super clear. Build your life on my teaching and you'll live. If you don't, the rains will come and your house will fall. But how do people respond to this teaching of Jesus? Well, Matthew, 
who was one of the eyewitnesses to the life and the teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus, he recorded this for us. At the very end of chapter 7 in Matthew, when Jesus had finished saying these things, particularly the three chapters that we have, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. People were amazed because of his authority, particularly because of how he taught. Now, through the king's speech, Jesus took people's understanding of God, his, their understanding of spirituality, their understanding of what it mean, meant to be the faithful people of Yahweh, of his father, what it meant to be wise, what it meant really to live at all, and he turned it upside down. And now good teachers do that, right? The best teachers out there, they take something, that that's also what comedians do, they take something expected, and then they twist, they flip it, right? And you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, I wasn't expecting that, and we learn new things that good teachers often do that. Well, Jesus took what was assumed by everyone and then changed everything. And here's the thing. Jesus spoke these powerful words without a trace of irony or hesitancy or sarcasm. He didn't like sort of give a wink, like, you know, I'm I'm really kidding here. He didn't ask for permission. He just spoke. Unlike other teachers of the law, Jesus didn't footnote all his sources. You know, he failed at grad school, right? He didn't footnote all his sources. He didn't appeal to any other ancient teachers to sort of back up and support what he was saying. No, Jesus spoke as though, get this, as though he had the right to tell us exactly how to live. Because he does. Unlike every other human teacher, Jesus' authority isn't derived, it's divine. He doesn't have to back it up with some other support for people that are respected. No, he comes as the Son of God. There's a lot of interpretations floating out around there, Jesus says. Now here's the truth. Uh, People will tell you a lot of things about how to succeed in life, Jesus says. Now, this is the true way to life. You've heard it said, but I say. Jesus says. That is, the king says, God says, the creator of the heavens and the earth who first spoke the world into existence and then spoke the Ten Commandments and the law from Mount Sinai, who then came in the flesh as the very, the very spoke of God, speech of God, the very word of God. He says, and unlike what others have said, Jesus then says, look, it's my words that you need to build your life on. It's obedience to my teaching that will determine the true success of your life. It's in response to my direction that will actually make all the difference in your life, both now and for eternity. Everything, Jesus says, everything. Life, death, everything in between, everything without exception hangs on me, on Jesus. Now, can we just pause for a moment and acknowledge just what that means? I mean, who says that kind of thing? Really? Like, who does? In fact, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, and what his whole story reveals him to be, and what his death and resurrection obviously proves the very Son of God, could he really have said this? This is one of the times when a very popular opinion about Jesus needs to be called into question. 
There's many respectful people who want to give Jesus his proper due by naming him as a great moral or religious or spiritual teacher. They want to name him as the good teacher, but not necessarily accept his divinity or, or necessarily believe his resurrection. And I, I get that. And I've got friends uh, who, who wrestle with that. It just kind of frankly seems wrong to reject Jesus' words outright. But uh, I'm not sure I want to actually go the whole way with this Jesus character. So we can feel, and maybe this is you, maybe you're, you're still wrestling, you kind of feel like, you know, it's wrong to dismiss him altogether, but I don't necessarily want to embrace him either. And maybe that, maybe that's a wrestling that you've had. And maybe you, you've been kind of trying to figure out and, uh, you know, as you've been learning about the teaching of Jesus and you've been exposed to things of the Christian faith and you've been trying to figure out like, what in this is true and what in this is false? And yeah, I kind of can see how Jesus is a good guy, but I'm not sure about him. And maybe you're wrestling with that and I want to acknowledge that and say that I'm really glad you're here. Or maybe you can think back to the time when that was you, where you were like, I thought Jesus was an okay guy until I looked into it and I realized that ah, that's not good enough. I need to actually wrestle with this and figure out, do I believe he is who he said he was or not? But here's the thing. For anyone who actually reads the teachings of Jesus, and I don't mean just uh, you know glance over it a few times, but like takes it in, like chews it over, and tries to wrestle with the implications of his teaching and what he's saying, it's not really an option to just call Jesus a great teacher. Not really. Now, some of you who are familiar with C.S. Lewis know the quote I need to give right now. And so, for your sake, I'll give it. But actually, for my sake, I'll give it, because I love this guy. But C.S. Lewis, he nailed it in his little masterpiece, Mere Christianity. I don't know if you've ever read this book. But I'm telling you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to read this book. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to read this book. It's extremely helpful. So from atheist, skeptic, right through to follower of Jesus, if you haven't read Mere Christianity, you must. And, and I, I have a bit of a thing with this one, so I just collect old copies whenever I see them. And hey, I work a few hours a week at the Gleaners, so man, I snatch up everyone I can. So what I'm trying to say is, I got one for you. If you haven't read Mere Christianity and you'll come to me and says, I will read this book, and I will look you in the eye and make you promise, i got a free copy for you. Yeah, don't all rush up here at once. <laughs> that was a side note. C.S. Lewis, in that book, Mere Christianity, after he was explaining kind of what, the, what basic mere Christians believe about Jesus, this is what he said. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Did you hear that line? Say the things he said, but, not, but, but just be a man? No, no. He's not a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. You know it was written in the 30s when he said that. Or 40, sorry. Um, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. 
You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You could shut him up for a fool. You could spit at him and call, kill him as a demon. Or you can follow at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is an astounding teacher. And if we follow his teaching, even when we aren't sure we believe him, it'll actually make a difference in our lives. I really think that's true. But why is he an astounding teacher? It's not just because he brought new insights to life, which he did. It's not just because he kicked sand in the faces of oppressive religious leaders, which he did. It's not just because he announced that something new was happening, which it was. Jesus is an astounding teacher because of who he is. He teaches with full kingly authority as the very Son of God. No wonder people were amazed. No wonder we continue to be amazed by his teaching. And the amazing authority of Jesus doesn't stop there. You know, if you continue through the rest of the gospel stories, those are the first four uh, stories, books, biographies, if you will, uh, at the start of the New Testament, that's the second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you continue reading through Matthew, and then you go through Mark, and then all the way through Luke, and, and then by Christmas, John itself, right? If you go through those, you begin to see the divine authority of Jesus played out in full. Jesus continues to use his divine authority to teach people about God's kingdom, what it means, what it means to respond to him, what it means to live in the kingdom. But he also reveals his divine authority to heal the sick and to drive out demonic spirits. He reveals his divine authority to forgive people of their sins and, and to include sinners in his ranks as his friends. He displays his kingly authority over creation as he walks on water and he calms the storm and he feeds the hungry. And along the way, Jesus shares his authority with his closest followers and sends them out to to actually announce that the kingdom of God is here and heal the sick and drive out spirits, essentially to bring his kingdom healing and deliverance to many others. Jesus has that authority because he's the king. And are people amazed? Yeah, they're amazed. And they're ticked off, and they're upset, and they're challenged, and they're angry, and some start plotting to kill him. Others are healed and delivered and freed and fed and included and loved. And can I loop back to something? When Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount, he's very, very clear, shockingly clear, that obedience to his teaching will determine the true success of your life. And yet, if we're honest, even just those three chapters, we can struggle to fully trust his teaching in our lives. We can read through it and there can be parts of it where we think, really, Jesus, seriously? Do you actually expect us? Or do you think anyone could practically live that way, especially when it comes to teaching that challenges how we live and how we think? And here's the thing I want you to consider. When you look over the rest of Jesus' life, the things we just quickly named like, healing, deliverance, all all that. Jesus always, always, always uses his authority for the good of other people, on behalf of others. That's how he uses his authority, to bring God's healing and grace 
and goodness. Even when he's teaching hard stuff, he's doing it to either push back the darkness or get people to wake up or reveal the goodness of God to them. But always, 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 Jesus uses his authority for the good of others. And so if that's true and we see that played out in the life of Jesus, then even when we wonder how in the world it would be feasible to love an enemy, or whether we can trust Jesus in what he says about money, or, or whether we can actually deal with the anger that's seething within us, or the lustful thoughts that are dominating our hearts and minds. All of these things, if there's times we wonder, can I trust him? In other words, can I trust his authority? Remember that all that he does, all that he says, is for our good. Even when we don't fully understand it, it's for our benefit. And so by looking at the rest of his life, by looking at how he operates, we can have even more confidence that his authoritative teaching is for our good. But then, after using his kingly authority as the Son of God, as the perfect human to bring God's grace to people, Jesus does the most shocking thing of all. He uses his kingly authority to do what no one ever would have imagined, what no one else would have ever done. He lays down his life for the world. And that was the plan all along, of course, to announce the kingdom of God, to to live a life that reveals what it meant to be a follower of God and, and show others, bring others, call others to follow him. And then to take back what death and evil and the devil had stolen, to take that back through his death, his kingly death. And Jesus ties his royal death and his resurrection to his authority as well. In another gospel, the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And then Jesus is clear. His death on the cross, which his followers weren't anticipating, and they were going to see soon, and they were going to freak out about it and lose all faith. Jesus says his death on the cross was not a sign that he had been overcome or beaten somehow by evil. As though Jesus were somehow powerless to prevent his own demise. No. His life was his own to give. And a little later on in John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes it, that is my life, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus the one with authority to teach about the kingdom, to forgive our sins, to deliver the oppressed, to heal the sick and cleanse the leper and feed the hungry and walk on water and challenge false powers, also has the authority and have the authority to die and rise again. Who else can say that? Well, actually, people do say that. There's people that claim that kind of thing. find people all through history who claim they wouldn't die or that if they died, they'd rise again. Maybe even some claiming that there was some sort of Christ. But did any of them follow through with it? Only one. Jesus. Only Jesus followed through with that. And when we come to the communion table, this is the Jesus that we are celebrating. Communion is all about Jesus' authoritative action on our behalf. Living a faithful life. A life that we couldn't live, but living that life for us. Laying down his life for us. Rising again in power for us. Ascending to the right hand of the Father where he sits enthroned as king for us. And now, meeting us here at the communion table 
Jesus is here for us. For you. But you know, before he ascended to the right hand of his father, ascending there, it says in another book of the Bible that until all death and evil have been subdued under his feet, just before he does that, Jesus does something very important. Jesus commissions his followers to continue his good kingdom work and to act upon his authority in this world for the sake of this world. In other words, continuing to do what Jesus has been doing. Telling everyone that God's king has come and showing everyone that new creation has begun, even now. Very famously, Matthew records these final words of Jesus just before his ascension. And pretty well known to many of you. Listen to how Jesus roots our commission from him in his authority. Jesus starts his final words in Matthew by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, not part authority, not like a little bit I've kind of managed to squirrel away, not not the, the, the bit where you guys say yes to me. All authority, without exception. There's no higher authority than the authority of Jesus. And remember, this is the good authority, the kind of authority we've seen displayed in his life. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, that is, based on Jesus' complete and total good authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, Jesus says, take up your swords and fight for me. (laughs) Not what he said. Hide until I come again. Jesus said, just play nice until we all fly away. You know how much I love that song. Or fight for your right to survive. Did Jesus say any of those things? No, he did not. Based on his... Creation-encompassing authority. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus sends his people, he sends his followers, he sends us to make his good kingdom real in the lives of of people. And how does he say it? Well, he says, go and make more followers. Go and make disciples. Which begins by including people through baptism as a sign that they're actually now part of this new creation kingdom that has been inaugurated by Jesus and is coming true by the Holy Spirit. So include people through baptism. And then, no surprise if we've been listening at all to the teaching of Jesus, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, keep teaching them to build their lives on the same rock that you're building your lives on. The teaching of the king himself. And Jesus promises to be with us always, ensuring that he's going to be present to us and with us on this mission by the Holy Spirit. So friends, followers of Jesus, this is what King Jesus commanded us to do. This making disciples, baptizing, teaching bit. And and coming to the communion table is actually critical to that ongoing mission of Jesus. Coming to the communion table right here is critical to the ongoing mission out there, in your workplaces, in your family lives, in your schools and businesses, your friendships and recreation places. Through baptism, we're included in the family of Jesus, where we're given the gift of God's Holy Spirit, and then we take on, as it were, the family business. And baptism was designed to happen once. 
though I do recognize that in some people's lives it ends up happening more than once, but it was designed to happen once. It was designed to be the inclusion point. And then, through communion, we meet back at the family table to be reminded of who God is, to be reminded of who we are and what He's called us to do. And we do that regularly because it's through this recommissioning that we're then sent back out to make His kingdom real in the lives of others. To put it another way, our baptism is our first commissioning and communion is our recommissioning. And they're designed to go together. Our baptism brings us in and our communion keeps sending us back out. As people who are operating under the authority of Jesus, we come back to Him regularly. We gather together with brothers and sisters and fellow travelers and explorers of faith. We gather together regularly and we receive from Jesus fresh food. Fresh food for the work so that we're sustained in the days ahead. Remembering that His love for the world compels us to share more of Him with others. To do for others what He did for us. To do for others what He did for the people around Him. So that all people can come under His life-giving teaching, experience His life-transforming authority, receive His life. And so Jesus invites us all to meet Him at the table today. To come for whatever you need. Forgiveness, correction, discipline, a reminder, a reorientation. To come to hear the Father's reminder that we are His children and that we have work to do. Now some of you, I recognize, would say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I've never been baptized. And I just want to say, baptism, you don't need to be baptized to come to the table. That's not how we do it around here. You can come. But, I want you to hear the invitation of Jesus today that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe He was who He said He was, you know what? It's time to get baptized. Because that's actually how we are introduced. That's how we're initiated. That's how we're brought in. That's the the sign and the celebration that was given to the church. And so this is your invitation from Jesus Himself. If you've never said yes to Jesus, but you'd like to say yes to Him, Come to Community Day to say yes to Jesus. Pull me aside and we'll talk more about what that means. If you are a Baptist follower of Jesus and maybe, maybe you need to come because you've forgotten who you are and you, you need God's reminder. Or maybe there's something that's been happening in your life and you just need Jesus to minister to you, to, to touch you, to heal you. Maybe you trust and love Jesus but you stumbled hard this week, this month, this year. And you need to come, to come clean and come to receive forgiveness. Wherever you are today, I invite you to come to communion. And so, I'm going to shift down to the table and lead you through um, one of our communion liturgies, which is just a way of of, of entering into this space together, and and there's some readings for you and and some things for me. I want to invite you to stand so that we can receive what Jesus has for us. If standing is a problem for you, remain seated, uh, by all means. And uh, today, if coming forward to receive communion is a problem, uh, toward the end of the communion time, just put up your hand and, and the servers will come and serve you there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move down to, the, ta- to the, the floor here. Today, I'd like you to receive this call to communion in the words of Jesus, who said, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. At the invitation of Jesus, we come to the table. And first, we confess our sin together. In these words, Forgive us, most gracious God, for the ways we have disobeyed your good teaching and resisted your good leadership. For what we have done to bring pain to your beautiful world, our hard and unkind words, our careless and thoughtless deeds, our lack of compassion and reluctance to render aid when it was in our power to help. Amen. Receive these words of assurance. And now upon your confession, Jesus, who has the authority to forgive sins, forgives you. Through the cross of Christ, God has had mercy on you, pardons you, and sets you free. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. God strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in eternal life. Amen. In the early centuries of the Christian faith, faithful Christians bore witness to the truth of God's revelation in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And they often did this in opposition to harmful and false ideas that were circulating about who Jesus was. And so from those years, we as the church received the gift of various creeds, expressing the heart of the Christian faith and confessed down through the ages by the communion of saints. Together, let's join our voices with these faithful witnesses and confess our faith in the words of one of those creedal gifts, our our Nicene Creed. All together, we'll read. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory, judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who was spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, having confessed our common faith, hear the words of the Apostle Paul, the words of our Lord Jesus as they were delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. 
gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you lived for us, that you came for us, that you demonstrated in your life, in your teaching, in your actions on our behalf. You demonstrated for us the heart of your Father, the desire for recreation and healing and deliverance to come. And you made that possible by taking upon yourself our humanity, our brokenness, our sin, our judgment, and carrying that to the cross. And through your death, defeating death, defeating evil, defeating the powers of darkness and the bondage of sin. And then, surprisingly, because none of us expected it, even though you said you had the authority to take your life up again, none of us expected what you did on that third day by rising again from the dead in power, revealing to us that death has been defeated and eternal life has truly come. Resurrection life is ours by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We praise you. We follow you. You are our King and our God. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for recommissioning us today, for sustaining us in the work you've given us to do so that others, women, men, children, people all over this valley and this world would know it's a God who loves them. There's a King who's come for them. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.